Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of Matthew, the 28th chapter, <coughs> beginning with the first verse. Now after the Sabbath, toward dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place of where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Lo, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Hail. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Lord, help us to understand what this writer is trying to tell us about the greatness of this day. You know, this is the first church that I've ever been to <clears throat> where we actually really did need about three services to take care of the group that comes on Easter Sunday morning. Now, some of us have been here since 6.30 this morning. And I tell you, that's right early. And the birds were singing beautifully this morning. And it was a beautiful sunrise this morning. Now, I thought I would tell you all that because you latecomers, you were not up that early and you didn't know it was a beautiful sunrise. But it was. And isn't this a glorious, great day to be alive? And you think about something that is beautiful in the way that an Easter Sunday morning ought to be, and this is the kind of a day that you expect it to be, because it tells us about the greatness of the glory that you and I have, not only in this life, but in the one that is yet to come. I like what the angel said to these folk that came early to the tomb. On that morning so long ago, when he said to them, I know that you seek Christ. I know that you seek Christ. Now, dear ones, I suppose, though I don't suppose, now that's a wrong statement to make, that's why we're here this morning. We are here this morning, because that's precisely and exactly what we're, we're doing. We're here because we too seek the Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this one that uh, we read about. We seek this one that we talk about. We seek this one that has brought us the victory that he has brought to us already and made it possible for us to have a part and place in his great kingdom. We're really not here to impress anyone. We're really not here necessarily to show off anything that we may have purchased. You know, if I were going to purchase new clothes and had the opportunity to do so, this would be the Sunday I would wear them more than any other time of the year. In fact, if I only had one Sunday to go to church, and one alone during the year, well, I would do perhaps what some of you are doing. I'd pick this Sunday. I would be here. 
Because something deep within our hearts and our souls tells us that there's something different about this day. It is. It stands for something that is so fantastic and so wonderful and so meaningful that it's very difficult for us even who try to give some thought to it daily and, and try to understand that it, it is too big for us. It is too much for these minds of ours to lay hold of. But we can lay hold of it enough to know that it's the greatest thing that we have. And it's the most wonderful, it's the most unbelievable thing that could ever possibly happen to us. And, and He is alive, and that means we are alive. And we don't have to be afraid anymore. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we would begin to act like it? If you and I would begin to live like it? If you believed only 75% of what the, we read this morning, and then you begin to, to live like it, would you not live with a great deal of them vigor and vitality? And would you not be ready to accept any day that comes to you? Simply because you know, you know that you have laid hold of something that makes you an eternal being. Never to face a death. Or the physical body, but not your soul, will live forever. Don't be afraid. You know, in fact, the, the, these people who lived before us, these, these folk that we read about here, they, they had the same situation that you and I have. They had the same fears, the same difficulties, same trials and temptations. In fact, when they tried to understand what would, had really happened, and when they be, tried to put it into words and, so we could understand it, uh, they did it precisely what you and I do so often. When we, so often when we try to tell about something that, that is fantastic, uh, they tried to use it in comparison with something else. It's greater than that. It's greater than this. And there are three things, four things, you know, within the Scriptures that they compared the Lord Jesus Christ to and they said the greatest things that they could think of. And they said, now Jesus is greater than that. And I want to mention just briefly to you to stimulate your thinking this morning the things that, uh, that they used to say that, that Jesus is greater than that. And that was the most fantastic thing that they could think of. And the first one I would call to your attention, you know, the Scripture speaks of Jesus being greater than the temple. Well, that was the greatest thing that man had ever done up until that time. It was the greatest building that had ever been built. It was a project that had been in, uh, in the mill for, for many years. In fact, it was so fantastic that the Lord told David he wasn't going to be able to do it. It was left for his son, Solomon, to build a temple. And when it was built... It was the most magnificent thing that man had ever seen before. They had never seen anything like that before. In fact, when the Jewish people thought about it, they, they thought of it in terms, of course, related it to God. They thought, this is the dwelling place of God. Wherever the Jewish people went, or wherever they were born, they were told about the temple. And one thing they wanted to do more than anything else before they died was be able to make it back to Israel, to Jerusalem. And there to worship within the temple of God. Because this building stood for the eternal kingdom. It stood for law and order. And care that God had for, for his people. Oh if I am able to make it back. Or make it to the, to the temple to worship. I will be in the very presence of God. And so they did whatever they could. They suffered all kinds of hardships. 
traveled long hours and days and weeks in order to be able to get to the temple and there to worship. And the writer is saying, regardless of how magnificent you see this building and what it stands for, there is one that is greater than the temple. And then another writer thinks of it in this terms, uses Jonah. The silver-tongued orator, if there ever was one. Oh, what a, what a preacher he was. In fact, I only find that there's only two people that didn't like Jonah. And they had a hard time disliking him. They reluctantly, you remember, threw him overboard. Well, I think it took two of them to do it. I'm not sure. I don't think he jumped in on his own will. But anyhow, of course, he did make the fish sick. But he was a great man. He was a great man. He went to Nineveh. They had never heard of God in a fashion before. But when old Jonah went there and preached to the Ninevites, you know what happened? They repented to a person. Every one of them repented. And he didn't have a good sermon either. He said, you repent or the Lord's going to destroy you. Well, they believed him. Somehow or another, the Ninevites saw the mark of God upon this man. And so they responded to his message. And you remember one of the few places that God said he changed his mind. Of course, it made Jonah mad. But the Lord changed his mind and said, I'm not going to destroy it. They have repented. Oh, what a man Jonah really was. And the writer says, there's one greater than Jonah. There's one greater than Jonah. And then the Queen of Sheba. The lady that we know that was not only known for her riches... But Jesus recognized her as being a person that was committed to wisdom. And she traveled far and long in order to be able to make it to the man that she knew that had a great deal of wisdom. And out of the, the desire of her heart to have understanding, she comes in this with this queenly train with a, with a king's ransom. To see Solomon so that she might have imparted to her some of the great wisdom that this man had. It must have been a, a sight to behold. And the writer says there's one greater than the Queen of Sheba. And then the one writer says there's one greater than Solomon. Well, the wisest man... So some books say that ever lived. He was able to actually add to the kingdom of David. And he was actually able to build the temple. The Jewish people reached their zenith under his leadership. When the Jewish people today think about the golden age of God's people, they think about back to the day of David and Solomon. Great situation. Carved out a great kingdom. In any way you want to look at it. It was one of the greatest empires that was ever put together up until that time. And the writer says there's one that is greater, greater than Solomon. Oh, what a concept of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you know the disciples didn't believe this until Easter. They didn't really believe this until they saw the empty tomb. And it was here that they began to believe of what uh, was really taking place. Would it not be good this morning if we would look through the eyes of those who were there that day and try to more perfectly to, to understand what this day can mean to you and to me? 
I think about John, a very young person, without the accumulation of years. Though he was there when Jesus was taken prisoner, and in all probability he was one that left his coat in the hands of a guard. He was run, he ran away so quickly. But he knew that Jesus was dead, and when he was told, he and Peter were together. And when they were told that the tomb was empty, they headed toward the tomb, just as you and I would have if we'd have been told such a thing. And in the, the proximity of it, of the tomb, they started running toward the tomb. And John, being the younger and pastor, was able to outrun Peter. And when he got there, the writer makes a point of the fact, for some reason or another, that John stopped at the door and looked in to the empty tomb. And about that time, here comes Peter. Peter was a man that had lived long enough that he knew that this world was made up and life was made up of hard knocks. How well he knew it. And how embarrassed he was and how ashamed he was of some of his actions. In fact, the truth of it is that the Lord Jesus Christ and his relation to the Christ was the greatest tragedy in his life. Because it was only a few days before that he had denied the Lord Jesus Christ. And thinking back a few weeks before that, when Jesus told the disciples that I need to go to Jerusalem, to Israel, and there they're going to uh, be mean to me, and I'm going to die. And you remember, Peter was one of them who said, Well, now, Lord, you can't go. And the Lord said to him, Get behind me, Satan, I must go. And, you, and then you remember Peter and the rest of the disciples said, Well, if you go, we'll go. And if need be, we will die with you. And now it comes time for the Lord Jesus Christ while he was on trial. The world was being weighed in the balance. Jesus is standing before Pilate. And you know what Peter was doing while this was going on? He was out by the fire. And the scripture says so descriptively. As all he was doing was warming himself. While the world, the Son of God, the Messiah was being tried. And he knew Jesus was dead. He knew he was dead. And he didn't stop at the door of the tomb. He ran right on past John and went inside the tomb and looked around. Something has taken place here. There's another person there. We need to see what she saw. And that's the one that we know as Mary. The world had, in life had been cruel to her. In fact, she had fallen victim to, to the world. And she had been engaged in those things that the law said that, that she should die by being stoned to death. And she knew that the Lord Jesus Christ was dead. She also knew that he was the one that had meant more to her than anyone else. And tried to help her more than anyone else. Uh, but she knew that he was dead. And, and she was what we call a realist, you know. None of this fancy type of business. You know, a lot of people think I'm way out there in left field somewhere because I have, say I believe what I say that I believe. But she was a realist. She knew exactly what the world could do to you. She had experienced every bit of it. And she had fallen victim to it. And when she saw the empty tomb, tomb she knew it could only be one thing and one thing alone. Somebody has taken the body. Now, what did they do with it? The rest of them can be caught up in this other stuff, but, but I want to know where the body is. And so after everyone had left, she was still standing there in the garden by the tomb, 
trying to figure out what to do. And then someone spoke to her. And that's some of the most beautiful and yet strangest reading that you'll ever want to read. And Jesus spoke to her and she thought him to be the gardener. You know, dear ones, I've lived long enough to know and I have met many people within my trick of life to know that we can be so afraid of the tomb and our eyes can be fixed upon it so intently that we miss life. And that's exactly where Mary was. That's exactly what she was doing. And all the while, there stood the blessed Lord by her side. There stood the Son of God. There stood the Messiah. There stood the resurrected Christ. Any way you want to see it comes out the same way. There stood life by her personified. And she was oblivious to it. She mistook it to be someone else. And I want to tell you, dear friend, that's a real possibility for us today. I shall never forget being at the bedside of a man who was dying, one of quite a few. And this man knew he was dying, but he had this strange twist to it. He said, Preacher, you know, he says, all of my life, he says, I've been afraid to die. I've been afraid of it. He says, now that I'm dying, I'm not afraid anymore. Mary was a realist. What have they done with the body? And all the while, there was the one that she was looking for bigger than life itself. In the presence of the grave, and there was the blessed Lord. Well, John was the innocent one. Peter was the failure. Mary was the broken one. All of them had bombed out in a sense. And things for them had gone from bad to worse. But when they knew the tomb was empty, and they knew that the Lord Jesus Christ was alive, what kind of a day did it become for them? What happened? Well, you know what happened. What kind of a day is it for you and for me, knowing what we know? Well, it was a day of hope. It is a day of hope for every man and woman, no matter what yesterday was, whether you're young or old, saint or sinner. It doesn't make any difference. It's a day of hope for you and for me. This is what this day stands for. It's a day of hope. It's a day of faith. Believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is alive. And because He is alive, I am alive. And because He is alive, I have the power of the Holy Spirit residing within my own life and within your life. Committed to us. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we'd wake to the reality of this and all of a sudden we would know it? You see, we go about our feelings here and we sense, we think because we don't feel something, it is not so. Well, dear ones, it doesn't make any difference how you feel this morning. I want you to know it's an act of God through the Lord Jesus Christ that He committed to you His Holy Spirit. And that's real whether you feel it or not. The tragedy of it is that He was here. And many times we go about this business of living completely oblivious to it. 
is the day of victory over our enemy, the greatest enemy of all. Not only our sin, but death. Defeated. The victory's been won. It's the greatest game of all. And yet, it is no game. Because the decision has already been made for you and for me. And that decision is that you are victorious. And that's what this day stands for. And that is what's working within the deeper part of your heart and your soul. The reason you want to come apart. And be at this place today. Victory. Joy. The message of the angels. Don't be afraid. Jesus, when he saw his disciples, don't be afraid. Rejoice. Be glad. Something has happened. The most fantastic thing in the world has taken place. And you are actually part of it. Dear friends, this is the first day of the rest of your life. This is the first day of the rest of your life. Knowing what you know now, how should you live the rest of your life? Oh, our Father, help us to be able to see more perfectly than ever before what you have wrought and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us respond to it and help us to live like it, for we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven.